Welcome to another episode of Dr. Doctor, the award-winning radio show and podcast featuring your physician hosts, Dr. Tom McGovern. And I'm Dr. Chris Stroud, and it's on this show that we and our guests will discuss relevant health-related topics, always from an authentically Catholic perspective. Today, our guest will be heard across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Joining us from central Minnesota will be Dr. Tom Morgan. He is an endocrinologist. We've had a couple of those on the show, but he is going to unpack something we haven't discussed, thyroid disorders and just what is that thyroid gland and what is it up to? Tom, I'm so excited about this show, and I know that may sound a little nerdy, but for several reasons, mostly because it involves two things that every one of us have. Yes. A thyroid gland. Yes. And fatigue. And fatigue. Yes. (laughs) You know, a lot of people going to endocrinologists go there because, oh, I must have low thyroid uh, because I'm fatigued. I'm tired all the time. And thyroid disease is extremely common. And often patients and their caregivers fail to recognize uh, what's going on. Now, listeners probably know that I'm an OBGYN. You're a dermatologist. My expertise and training is in dealing with diseases of the female reproductive tract. But one of the reasons I'm looking forward to today's discussion is because I see thyroid disease so often in my practice, really on on a daily basis even. Uh, And you might think that sounds a little odd. What does that have to do with OBGYN? But it's probably one of the takeaways uh, from our show today, I suppose anyway, and that is that the thyroid gland is involved in essentially everything that our body does. It plays some part or another. Um, I see it in my specialty as a cause of things like irregular menstrual periods or problems with ovulation, infertility, problems with weight gain or weight loss in some cases, even recurrent pregnancy loss, miscarriage, sometimes depression and PMS. And that's just a couple of things that come to mind. (laughs) I mean, the thyroid is the great imitator. Do you see it much uh, in the world of dermatology? You know, before I specialized in just doing skin cancer, uh, we would occasionally see things related to the thyroid, but really not that often. I mean, classically, we're educated that, oh, if you have a really overactive thyroid, you can build up uh, certain kinds of deposits in your legs or around your eyes. And and uh, just the opposite, if you have really low thyroid activity, you can build up uh, different kinds of deposits. But those extremes are not that common anymore because people are more attuned to these problems. Uh, Interesting. Well, I think for our guests, let's do a little review on the thyroid because we're going to throw around a bunch of terms that get confusing because we're so good at doing that in medicine. Uh, And it's too bad that this is a podcast and not a video because then we could have really cool graphics uh, Mm, of the thyroid. (laughs) Maybe in the future, Chris. Maybe in the future. Just a rundown. So there's an area in the brain called a hypothalamus. And the hypothalamus, among other things, sends a signal to the pituitary gland downstream. The pituitary gland then releases a hormone called TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone. TSH does just what its name suggests. It stimulates the thyroid gland, which lives happily there in your neck around your Adam's apple. And the thyroid gland makes T4, we will call it. Uh, also called thyroxine. Uh, T4 doesn't really do all of that much. Its major job is it gets converted to T3, uh, a little bit harder to say. Try iodothyronine. Maybe we should just Easy stick for to you T3. to say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, three iodine atoms within the molecule. That's right. We could just stick to T3. It's a lot easier. Yes. Now, T3, unlike its brother, T4, is involved in everything, every physiologic process, all of our metabolic pathways, everything you can think of, T3 really plays a part. And then T3 feeds back to the brain and says, hey, I'm here. Uh, Since I'm here, you don't need to make more TSH. Or if I'm not here enough, you should make more TSH. So that's really sort of the circle of life if you're a thyroid gland. And what's going to be important with this is when Dr. Morgan starts talking about tests, he's going to talk about levels of TSH levels of T4, and levels of T3, and there are different types of levels of T3. T3 that is just free and available to do its thing, and T3 that's connected to a karyoprotein that's not free to do its thing. And he's also going to talk about different treatments where you can get T3 and T4 in different forms. So all, all thyroid hormone is not created equal. 
Absolutely. You know, and in, in, in a Jeff uh, Foxworthy sort of way, um, let's do a little, you might have thyroid dysfunction if. Uh, oh, yes. For our, Go for it, Chris. Our, our You've got some of that vibe going. Yeah. You might have thyroid dysfunction if you got feelings of depression, especially uh, in women. Uh, you might have thyroid dysfunction if you have excessive fatigue uh, or excessive feelings of anxiousness. Uh, a sense of being kind of in a thick fog that classically happens with hyperthyroidism or overactive thyroid increased appetite also with hyper or overactive thyroid, especially if you're eating like crazy and not gaining weight. That's not not necessarily a good thing. Even Uh, though it's a dream state for some people. (laughs) (laughs) You might have uh, thyroid dysfunction if you have achy muscles and extremities, or if you have changes in your basal body temperature. For a lot of our listeners who use um, basal body temperature to help predict their fertility, they know they'll come in and say, please check my thyroid. My basal Uh body temperature is too low. Um, and they all how accurate, how predictive is that in your experience, Chris? You know, in my experience, if, if they're getting good basal body temperatures and they're very low, we often find laboratory evidence that they've got a a sick thyroid, Ah. sudden, sudden rises in your blood pressure, changes in your voice, uh, changes in your sleep pattern, uh, and sometimes loss or thinning of hair. All of those things can be signs of thyroid dysfunction. Oh, yeah. You mentioned uh, hair loss. And that was one thing we always checked with hair loss. I never, ever in 30 years in dermatology have seen thyroid as the cause of hair loss, although we checked it almost every time. (laughs) That has to to be something we ask our guest endocrinologist about. Yes. Yes. So is it time to move on to our patented medical trivia question of the day? I think it is. My thyroid says yes. (laughs) The category is the Bible and endocrinology. So uh, I do not think the word thyroid is in the Bible, but the thyroid gland sits beside and in front of the top of the trachea, the windpipe, and it's below the larynx or voice box. Now there's a hard structure in front of the larynx and it's called a thyroid cartilage. The thyroid gland is actually lower down in the neck. The question is, what's the biblical name of the middle point of the thyroid cartilage and why does it have that name? You're gonna to have to hang on till after the end of the interview with Dr. Morgan here on Dr. Doctor, but we'll be back with lots of juicy information on the thyroid gland and fatigue. Welcome to our special guest interview for this episode of Dr. Doctor. We have Dr. Tom Morgan here from Central Minnesota. He's a board certified internist and endocrinologist who did those six years of training at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. He, as an endocrinologist, addresses disorders of glands and hormones, especially thyroid gland, diabetes, osteoporosis, and some less common conditions. While he currently works in central Minnesota, he loves teaching students and residents. He's married to Jill, he's a father of five, and says he's a practicing Catholic who loves the faith. Tom, welcome to Dr. Doctor. Thank thank you, Tom and Chris. It's great to be with you. So, Tom, the thyroid hormone acts on virtually every cell of the body, and it controls the basal metabolic rate. What is that, and why is it so important? So the basal metabolic rate is basically the calories we burn each day at rest, um, and it's something that can be measured in sophisticated tests in big medical centers if someone's interested, and there's some cheaper, uh, less, um, uh, probably a less effective ways to measure it in gyms and things. And that can let people know exactly or roughly how many calories they burn every day. Um, and, and of course, we burn extra calories with exercise. But uh, the thyroid does affect the basal metabolic rate um, and many other functions, as you said. So, Tom, what else do these thyroid hormones do to our normal, happy, functioning lives? They, they do affect so many areas, like Dr. Tom said, you know, they can affect our pulse, they can affect our heart pumping ability, they can affect the GI tract motility for our bowels, they can affect our, our temperature tolerance, whether we're hot or cold, they can have effects on our mood, sometimes affecting anxiety and depression, they can affect joints, they can affect swelling, uh, they can have effects on cholesterol levels, on sodium levels in the blood. Um, so it, it just goes all over and plays a role in many different parts of the body. Um, so very important hormones. 
Well, you mentioned the magic word, which was calories. Uh, <laughs> everybody, everybody, uh, present company excluded, could probably <laughs> do with a few less calories. But if the thyroid's in charge of the number of calories I burn while I sleep, why don't you just give me something to crank up my thyroid and my metabolic rate and I'll wake up thin? Sure. It's a great question. And some people have actually done that. Some doctors have done that without even testing thyroid levels and putting people on mega doses. And if you purposely do that and take excess thyroid, it will cause some weight loss. But as with everything, there's a catch. And basically it causes hyperthyroidism, too much hormone. And that in turn can cause multiple symptoms, including heart racing, heart pounding, heart rhythm problems, atrial fibrillation, bone loss, anxiety, depression, diarrhea, shakes, sweats. Um, so basically you're helped with one thing and hurt on multiple others. So that's why we don't so, doing that. So thin and miserable. Yeah, that sounds like it. So a lot of people who are overweight say, oh, I just have an underactive thyroid gland. So if you took 100 patients who are obese, a body mass index over 30, out of those 100, who would be obese primarily because of a thyroid problem? How many of those 100? With high BMIs like that, it'd be a, a small percent, actually. Uh, right now, I think the estimates are that about half of Americans are trying to lose weight, maybe even more. And there's about 5% of people that have hypothyroidism. Um, so the, most of the people who are carrying the high BMIs you know, aren't even hypothyroid. And of the ones who are hypothyroid, uh, it depends on how severe the hypothyroidism is. But there's been some studies that have looked at this. And one of them found that 50% of people who are hypothyroid and took thyroid hormone didn't lose any weight. And, and of the 50% who lost weight, the average weight loss was about eight pounds. Um, and if the experts specifically say in this subject, if you have a really high BMI, you know, 35, 40, or, you know, what they consider significant obesity, it's not going to be the thyroid is the big answer. So it might help some, you know, and some is better than none. I'll take any victory. But I also try to warn people in advance, you know, it may not be the big answer. And the closer the level is to normal, the less likely it's going to have effects on weight. But we still would treat anyone with type hypothyroidism and we hope for the best. Uh, the other thing I always talk about with the obesity, I think there's a big myth that people way overeat who gain weight. If you take in 110 calories extra per day for a year, that's 10 pounds. And 110 calories is like nothing. I eat that grazing all the time. So if, if you barely, barely overshoot, you know, once a day by 110 calories, 10 pounds in a year. So it, it's a tough area. Um, and we should offer support with nutritionists and weight management clinics too. Wow. So you'd like to talk about how non-specific thyroid symptoms are. What do our listeners need to know about that, Tom? Yeah. So a, a common symptom that patients come to the doctor with is fatigue. You know, it actually probably makes up more than a quarter of a patient visits. And, and there's many other symptoms like they come in with depression or I'm tired, I just don't feel well. But I often do this drill with them and I, I kind of walk them through thyroid symptoms. And these could be overactive or underactive symptoms. But I, but I say, how many people do you know that don't have some of these symptoms? Too hot, too cold, weight gain, weight loss, menstrual changes, um, shakes, sweats, sleep disturbance, depression, anxiety. And if you ask for a show of hands, you're going to have most of the people say yes for some of them. And they're real symptoms and they're real bothersome symptoms and sometimes debilitating. But then the question is, what's the culprit for it? Um, and so one of the questions I often ask patients is, I don't necessarily always say, are you tired? I say, can you keep up with your friends? If you're way behind your friends, we might have a problem. Yeah, and if, you're, if you can keep up with your friends and you're tired sometimes, you're normal. Um, and I ask med students when I lecture them, I, and they're in their 20s in the prime of life, I say, how many of you are tired? all the hands go up, you know? So, so thyroid definitely can cause those symptoms, but the job of the endocrinologist and the internist and the family doctor is to sort out, is it a cause or not, or is it a contributing cause? But certainly I would check thyroid levels in anyone who has thyroid symptoms uh, and we can't blow that off ever. And if they have a problem, we want to treat it and identify it. The, the other thing is I try to warn them about if they're hypothyroid, of course, it depends on how severe normal TSHs go up to four and anything above four is hypothyroid. If they're very mildly elevated, sometimes we treat them and it doesn't help the symptoms. There was a great study done years ago at a big center that looked at women with TSHs of 12 and they put them on thyroid hormone or placebo and they flipped it around so everyone got the treatment at one point. And then they did questionnaires about which group did better. The women who took treatment did do better, but it was 50% of them felt better when they went from a TSH of 12 to normal. 
So I kind of warn people, it, when I start thyroid hormone, it might help, but we don't know until we try it, but it's definitely worth a try if the levels are off. But again, the symptoms are pretty nonspecific and, and common. Now, Tom, you mentioned thyroid levels, and I want to dive into that a little bit for our listeners. So um, you see a patient who's complaining maybe of fatigue or one of the common presenting complaints, and you say, I'm going to check your thyroid. Walk us through what exactly that means, which thyroid test, and what are you looking for? So I'm going to certainly check a TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone on them. That's going to be the first test in probably 98% of people that's going to go off if they're hyperthyroid or hypothyroid. And the clues will be if the TSH is high, we've got hypothyroid. If the TSH is low, we've got hyperthyroid. Um, The exceptions to rules, there's always exceptions. If someone's had a pituitary gland problem in the brain, like a benign tumor or surgery to the pituitary or radiation to the head, then we might not be able to trust the TSH because of damage to the pituitary where TSH comes from. So then we make sure we check our free T4 because that will come directly from the thyroid and then we'll, we'll catch the other patients we would have missed with just a TSH. So if I have a high suspicion, I'm going to probably do a TSH and a free T4 right off the bat. Uh, and again, TSH picks up the disease earlier that usually than the free T4. Um, another critical point is, we, you know, it's kind of humbling in medicine. You know, you think you know stuff and then new stuff comes along. But a few years back, we found out that biotin in, uh, can mess up the assays for thyroid hormone levels. And biotin comes in multiple over-the-counter supplements. Yes. It, comes, it comes in multivitamins. It comes in prenatal vitamins. It comes in hair, skin, and nail pills. It comes in B-complex vitamins. And tons of patients take them. They don't usually show up on the med list. They might start it after you see them. So we, we're trying to tell all our patients, skip anything with biotin for a day or two before the lab draw for hormones. Otherwise, we could get burned with a false result. Um, but the TSH-T4 would be the usual ones. Some patients want to do a T3, and if they want to, I'm not against that. But, uh, but typically, we're going to catch it with a TSH first, T4 second. Some, some um, naturopaths and homeopaths are into checking reverse T3, and that's an inactive isomer of T3. I never check it. Um, some doctors like ask questions about, should we check antibodies to the thyroid? because antibody-mediated disease is the most common cause of hypothyroidism, known as Hashimoto's. And the answer is, it can be done, but it's not necessarily mandated, because Hashimoto's is going to be treated the same way the other forms of thyroid are going to be treated. But if someone wants to know their antibody, it can be checked. If it's positive, it fits with Hashimoto's. About 10% of the population is antibody positive. Now, if someone has normal thyroid levels and they're antibody positive, it puts them at a higher chance of getting hypothyroidism in the future, and their risk goes up to about 4 to 5% per year. So if I know someone's antibody positive, normal thyroid levels, I'm going to watch them more closely once a year. And so that's kind of our- Okay, usual- Tom, that's a, that's a ton of information. Let's try to unpack this one step at a time here. Sure. Okay. TSH, is the TSH ever normal, but someone has thyroid disease, hypo or hyperthyroid? Sure. So the place where the TSH can be normal in thyroid disease is if there is what they call secondary hypothyroidism or central hypothyroidism. That's where there's damage to the pituitary gland, sometimes from tumors, benign tumors, sometimes by surgeons or radiation treatment. That In that case, they could have a normal TSH or even a low TSH, and they would have a low T4. So it'd be the T4 would pick up the problem there. So that's okay. an example. So you got that test. Okay, now here's a key question, and that is, and you've alluded to it a little bit, people who would qualify as hypothyroid, you said only half of them felt better when they had got medication. With what TS- do you do for the other half? So I want to point out that was with a TSH of 12, you know. So, okay. if, if, so if TSHs are way higher, I think you're going to get more and more people respond to treatment. Um, so if, if they're not responding to treatment, that's where we put on the internal medicine hat and we become real doctors of the, the whole scope of medicine. Um, so because there are about 100 causes of fatigue or depression or I don't feel well. And so I ask pretty much every question in the book about every type of organ. Um, so it usually takes a longer visit. Um, I want to know kind of basically everything about everything on their symptoms. Um, I'm looking for clues that would guide workup. I do a th- full exam where I check everything on exam. So after we've done a full history and exam, then we're going to do multiple lab tests. We're going to check for anemia. We're going to check a full chemistry panel to make sure there's no liver or kidney dysfunction 
no electrolyte dysfunction, no diabetes. Uh, and then we're also going to guide workup based on what the patient told us. If they haven't updated cancer screens, we're going to want to do that. Sometimes we do HIV testing or hepatitis testing. A big one is sleep area. Um, I have picked mm. up hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of patients with sleep apnea um, because it mimics, you know, thyroid disease. They're tired. They're exhausted. They don't feel well. They, have, uh, they sometimes have high blood pressure. So, Tom, would you say it's fair to say that that's the number one thing you discover with fatigue that actually ends up making a difference in patients' lives? I'd say for medical diagnoses, I'd say yes. Um, and, and it's just a critical question. Uh, and it, so many patients come back and tell you it changed their life, you know, that now they, now they feel good again. And so many people say they won't leave home without their CPAP you know, machine. I also, that's beautiful. I also pay a lot of attention to their history, you know, in addition to what's going on in the health and, and the thorough workup, what's going on in life, because what happens in life affects health and how we feel. And I think a lot of times we shortchange that probably because of time pressures, or maybe we just don't think about it. But so I, some of my common questions are, what are your biggest stresses in life? And I want to hear any of them they think are big. Um, I want to know how the family's doing both health-wise and life-wise, and that really opens up some doors. I want to know if they've ever had any forms of abuse against them of any type at any stage of life. Um, I want to know about pregnancy losses, you know, just any important clues that could be affecting them. And it's amazing some of the conversations that come up when people start talking about the wounds of life. I call them core wounds. And a lot of times they've had no help, no counseling, no support, and they've carried them for 30, 40, 50, 60 years, and the tears start flowing um, because they've had these great wounds, and they're affecting some of their symptoms. And they can also affect life choices, like how much exercise they can do, you know, um, how, how well they eat. Um, and, and sometimes we go into the spiritual realm a little bit too, which we can talk about later. Uh, but I think yes. that, that can give some clues about why they feel bad. And I also just ask, how many of hours sleep do you sleep at night? You know, some people are sleeping four hours a night. They're not going to feel well. Um, some people are working 70 to 80 hours a week. They're probably not going to feel so well. Um, and some people, again, have stress levels that are unbelievable. Um, and if you don't work on addressing them, they're not getting better. Um, and it's amazing how a lot of times at the end of the visit, the patient says, you know, I thought I was coming for this thing, but now I know why I really came here. <laughs> a lot of them say my prayers have been answered, you know, because, you know, they realize we're getting to the root cause of problems. So you really have to be like a great detective and it takes time and you have to show the patient you care about them and you want to know their story. And frankly, it takes a little love. I think, you know, the Mother Teresa approach always works in everything <laughs> yeah. in life. Um, so but it's a neat part of medicine, you know, when you can find what's really going on. And for many people, it's multiple things. And then you got to chip away. Tom, uh, that's fascinating. Listening to that philosophical sort of approach to disease in general uh, of any of any symptom, really. Uh, you mentioned earlier Hashimoto's thyroiditis. That's a that's a mouthful for our listeners and for a lot of us. Uh, but simplistically, it's when the immune system is attacking the thyroid gland. Walk us through uh, at an elementary level, so Tom and I can understand um, <laughs> what. What Hashimoto's thyroiditis is, and it's a form of hypothyroidism, how is it treated, and how does that treatment look compared to other forms of underactive thyroid? So it's by far the most common cause of hypothyroidism. Um, I, I, and if we measure antibodies, we usually get positive antibodies um, in our hypothyroid patients, and it is caused by the immune response. Um, it, it can present with hypothyroidism, sometimes with a goiter and a large thyroid, or both. Um, and it has the same type of symptoms that every other form of hypothyroidism has. Um, and it's treated similarly. You know, we still use thyroid hormone. Um, sometimes you'll hear patients say they've done some research and they've been told that gluten-free diets might help that. I don't think there's a ton of data that says, you know, for sure, yes on that. Some people have said that selenium might help that, uh, a supplement. And it's true that selenium lowers the TPO antibody that's positive in Hashimoto's, but it hasn't been found to reverse the thyroid dysfunction. So basically, you know, Hashimoto's is the common cause of hypothyroidism. Um, we're going to treat it with thyroid hormone if we have it and it's causing thyroid dysfunction. Um, and, and if you want to check the antibodies to confirm that condition, we, we can do so. 
So, Tom, if the antibodies are present, if you check antibodies and they're present, you know, it sort of confirms, yes, your immune system is attacking your thyroid. And then I give them thyroid medicine and their symptoms improve um, and they're better. Do the antibodies go away? Do they come and go? And what does that mean? Yeah, sometimes they can drop over time. Um, but, you know, we're really, you know, some patients are wondering about can we monitor the levels over and over the antibody? But, you know, if the gland has failed, the real fundamental question is, you know, are we replacing it well? You know, are we giving them back what they need? So I usually don't repeat the antibodies over and over. I focus more on the hormone levels, try to make sure they have excellent levels so they have no disadvantage compared to their friends, you know, from a thyroid standpoint. But sometimes they do go down in the titers. So, Tom, what what forms of thyroid medicine are important? I've met a number of doctors, you know, more of the, um, oh, what do we call them, functional medicine doctors who say, oh, it matters which form of thyroid replacement you're using. How important is that? That's a great question. Um, and it, one that many patients are interested in and have done a lot of reading on. But so the basic forms, we can give T4 brands. That the generic is known as levothyroxine. Trade names are Synthroid Levoxyl. Um, they are fairly cheap. They're once a day medications. They lead to steady thyroid levels and they're probably by far the most common ones used. Um, some patients have asked, shouldn't I be on some T3, not just the T4 brand? Um, and those can come in a pure T3 tablet um, called Cytomel, or they can come in a combination tablet such as Armour Thyroid or NP Thyroid. The studies to date really in general haven't shown benefits of combination therapy T4, T3 to be better than T4 for most studies, but some patients are really interested in trying the combination. And if they want to give it a try, I'm not against that in most groups. I'll tell you some exceptions, um, but on average, I found most patients either felt the same or they felt better for a little while and then they went back to their baseline. And I asked some, I asked some of my friends at Mayo uh, about that. Um, and they have found similar experiences. And we can talk more about that in, if we want to, about some of the different preparations. So uh, maybe let's let's run through that once more. T3 only, that would be Cytomel. Um, people will ask about that, I think, commonly. T4 only would be the levothyroxine or the trade name Synthroid. Um, and then Armour and Nature Thyroid, those would be the combinations of T3, T4. Did I get that right? Correct. Perfect. And that's a great point to uh, end this half of the interview. We'll be back with more on hyperthyroidism and the intersection of faith and endocrinology here on Dr. Doctor. And welcome back to this episode of Dr. Doctor. And we're talking all things thyroid. It just doesn't get more exciting than that. So <laughs> welcome. We're glad that you're with us. So Dr. Tom, back from the break, um, you know, you, you were describing taking care of fatigue and uh, depression and some things that really strike sort of at the soul level. Um, and that makes me wonder, how does your Catholic formation and your faith life, how does that uh, play a part in your addressing these symptoms and diseases as an endocrinologist? Yeah, that's an excellent question. Uh, on multiple levels, it does. First of all, it's interesting, you know, the more you start talking to a patient about their story, the more they just kind of tell you what's going on in their life, you know, which is great. You get to know them as a person. And, and again, we talk about the wounds of life and some of them are so serious. And then we got to figure out how do you help them? And of course, some of the practical things, if they haven't seen a good counselor, we always recommend that. Interestingly, a lot of them want a spiritual based counselor. So that's nice, you know, that we shift them there. Um, if they have true severe depression, we're going to get them to a psychiatrist to, uh, for appropriate medications um, and, of course, treat all the medical issues. But it, it's interesting. It's almost like the Lord opens up the conversations that you start, you know, talking about, you know, how they cope with their stress. And a lot of them start saying their faith is important to them. And so then you start talking about, you know, are you, you know, do you have good support at your church? And maybe they're away from their church and I encourage them to get back to their you know, church community for you know, support. If they're away from the sacraments, I tell them, you know, a lot of people benefit from that, you know, strength. Um, I, I tell them so many people benefit from meditation and prayer, you know, who have anxiety and depression. Um, and, and 
So it, it, and the other part, a lot of times they just give you clues. They come in wearing a cross. They're wearing a miraculous medallion. Um, they mention they're blessed. You know, um, it, it's pretty easy to go into those conversations. And the other part you find is the more you like them and the more you love them, the more it just goes well. And then it kind of naturally leads into these deep talks. Um, and a lot of them, it's interesting. I've read surveys that say 90% of patients think it's sometimes good for a physician to pray with them, at least sometimes. And in the doctor surveys, only 10% or less of doctors are praying with them. And 50% of doctors believe they should never bring it up to a patient. And in my experience, we're blowing it, you know, for some of the patients that really want it. Um, and it, I always say, what do patients want? They want stuff that's free and, and, and hardly anything in medicine is free. They want stuff that works and they want things that don't have side effects. And prayer and love fit all those. And they often are very therapeutic. And often it's amazing, you know, towards the end of the visit, it's like that part is the part that brought them joy, peace. And they send notes back and emails back and letters saying how it, you know, is transforming their life. Um, and the other part, it's, you know, I'm a big believer, pray before you go to work because, you know, I, I do my rosary. I, you know, I pray for my patients. I pray for the staff. And the Holy Spirit just kind of opens up doors. I always say the same thing to the Lord. I say, I got no wine today. You're going to have to provide the wine. Um, and then he just kind of does it. Um, and, and, and then you actually get some healing. Uh, some patients will tell you, doctor, I'm so tired of going to doctors. And they tell me all my tests are fine. And I feel lousy. You know? and, and sometimes it's in these other areas. Um, and, and I think, again, back to Mother Teresa, you know, she'd spend one 10 minute conversation with someone. They'd write books about her afterwards because she was so good at loving them. Um, so I, I think we as doctors got to remember how hard it is to be sick, how hard it is to have terrible stresses and things in life and, and show compassion and empathy to people and, and tell them you're proud of them, too, sometimes. Tom, this brings up a question. I read an article yesterday and I'm trying to think about how we can do a whole um uh, episode on this, but maybe you have some insight into this. And that is we as doctors are generally awful at helping patients make significant behavioral changes in their life that they themselves want to make for better health. With what you were just talking about, how do you think that helps bring about patients who make those challenging behavior changes? Yeah, I think that's a great point and one I'll have to meditate on a little bit. But I, I think that you know, the more someone feels good about themselves, usually the better they do things, you know. Um, and I've heard most of the time when we do bad stuff in life or mess up in life, it's kind of when we feel down and, and maybe like not grateful. So we can build up people. And I've had patients tell me, you're the only doctor in 35 years that ever told me I, I did something right. You know, and you wonder why they don't, you wonder why they don't want to come to us. You know, um, it, you know, it, it, it's, it's like going into the, you know, a, a very unpleasant setting. So I think if we build them up, and, you know, partly just with words of affirmation, you know, it's amazing. Tell a mother or a dad, I'm proud of you that you're doing a good job with your family. Tell them you're proud that they're taking a walk for a mile instead of saying, why aren't you doing more? You know, um, and, and we all know that most of us, if we get nine parts encouragement, one part suggestion, we do better, you know. And the other part, you know, if you really have had these big wounds of life, it, you know, the Lord often can help heal those wounds that we can't, you know. Um, so I think the power of prayer does work. Um, and and, and I think one of the things I like to remind people of, they're a child of God. They have the highest dignity, you know. And so no matter what the world tells them, they got great dignity that no one can take away from them. And they need to be reminded of that sometimes, I think, and, and told how beautiful they are. Well, Chris and Tom, your lives professionally intersect at the thyroid gland in pregnancy. How is the thyroid gland important in pregnancy? It's hugely important. So first of all, it can sometimes be an issue just to get you and get pregnant. So if someone has bad thyroid dysfunction, we want to correct it to help them get pregnant. Secondly, when they are pregnant, the thyroid hormone, the first several weeks, it all comes from the mom. The baby's not making any. The thyroid hormone is critical for development of the brain and the spinal cord. And, and those first 12 weeks, they're relying on mom. So if mom's levels are good, it'll help the baby develop better, better brain development, better IQ less miscarriages have been reported. And on top of that, thyroid doses typically increase during pregnancy. The average increase is probably 40%, but 85% of women on thyroid hormone have an increased dose during pregnancy. And if they're going to increase, it's usually early in pregnancy. So we tell all our women on thyroid hormone, 
if you get pregnant, tell your beloved first, tell your mom second, and then tell the thyroid guy. Uh, and then we check, <laughs> we, we, check, we check levels early and we adjust it. And I tell them there's nothing that brings me more joy than to see their baby you know, afterwards doing well. And we, we bug them with more lab tests in pregnancy. The other thing that comes up sometimes, we have to remember the moms after they deliver their baby, about 6% of women can develop a condition called postpartum thyroiditis that usually happens about three to eight months after pregnancy. And it can present with a hyperthyroid phase or a hypothyroid phase, and it can be treated with you know, some medications if needed. And a lot of times the symptoms are blown off because doctors just say, oh, you're a mom, you're anxious, you're tired, you're a mom, but maybe it's their thyroid. So don't forget the thyroid after delivery. Yeah, that's wonderful. I, I mean, you've just affirmed almost 30 years of medical practice for me. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> he said you were doing something right. I needed those words of affirmation. But, you know, uh, sadly, and Tom and I experience this a lot on the show, uh, all of the people in the profession are not as great as our guests. Um, <laughs> and in the obstetrical world, we often find ourselves at odds with endocrinologists who are not so enlightened as you. And, and it, it can be frustrating uh, to try to say, this is not a 40-year-old man that we're talking about. It's a 28-year-old pregnant woman. And um, it's different. You know, it's th diff pregnancy uh, is different. But thank you for that sort of affirming insight into the world of pregnancy and thyroid dysfunction. Certainly. So the other end of the thyroid would be hyperthyroidism. What's the most important things for our listeners to know? And, and that hyperthyroidism is about one-fourth as common as hypothyroidism. So I, I like them to know the warning symptoms, heart racing, heart pounding for no reason, weight loss for no reason, hot, shaky, anxious, um, sometimes sleep disturbance, diarrhea. So if they got a bunch of those symptoms, check your TSH and make sure it's you know we know where it's at. And if you're hyperthyroid, we have three different ways usually to treat that effectively if, if it's bad enough to require treatment, ranging from medications to x-ray treatment called radioiodine or even surgery. But some people are really sick when they're hyperthyroid, and if you don't treat them, they're not going to be feeling better. So are the symptoms of hyperthyroidism more predictive than the symptoms of hypothyroidism? In other words, people that have the typical symptoms are more likely to have hyperthyroidism than those are to have hypothyroidism? I would say probably yes on that because, you know, you can't fake a pulse. I mean, I shouldn't say no other symptoms are, are never fake, you know, but if you have a pulse of 140, it catches my attention. If you've lost 20 pounds of weight in the last, you know, 10, you know, 10 weeks, it's got my attention. You know, so I, I think that there are some specific objective findings that say, yep. Or if you have a goiter and large gland, or some people have a condition called Graves' disease where they have the eyes more prominent, so certain clues like that say, yep, I think I, I think I know what's going on here. Now, you just mentioned Graves' disease. That's one of the causes of hyperthyroidism. And Graves' disease and Hashimoto's thyroiditis are both autoimmune conditions, but one of them causes hypothyroidism and one hyperthyroidism. What's going on? So the Hashimoto's is lymphocytes, which are some of the defense cells, are attacking the thyroid and basically destroying tissue. With Graves' disease, there's an antibody called a thyrotroitin receptor antibody that's binding to the TSH receptor and turns it on to stimulate it to make excess thyroid hormone. So it, it is autoimmune caused by the antibody. But that antibody is like having extra TSH floating around. Correct. Very good. How do patients come to you? Are, do, do, do any of them self-refer or is it always from a family doctor or internist or pediatrician? Kind of a combination. You know, we, we definitely get internists and family doctors, sometimes subspecialists, um, but uh, some are self-referred and some, you know, just, you know, they've been on treatment and they're not feeling better and they want to know, is there another way to treat it? Is there another preparation that's better um, or what's being missed? Um, and frankly, one of our advantages as specialists, uh, and I've been spoiled, but I have a long block of time and time is precious because if you can give someone information and help them understand then they walk out often with a lot more peace. Whereas if you just say it's not the thyroid, see ya, you know, they're not going to be happy, you know. So um, time is valuable, you know, to spend with them and partly to educate them, partly to look for other issues that might be important. And it's amazing, you know, medicine is so complex. Like with hypothyroid, if I can backtrack, you know, um, sure. celiac, celiac disease 
four times more common in hypothyroid. So sometimes we you know, stumble across celiac in them. Adrenal mm -hmm. insufficiency, sometimes low cortisol can be found in hypothyroid patients. And we've had a, several patients that were hypothyroid, started thyroid hormone, felt worse, and they actually had adrenal insufficiency. And once we treated the adrenal insufficiency, they felt great. Um, so once again, we have to keep an open mind, you know, um, and you never know what you're going to get. I compare medicine to improv comedy. You just never know what you're going to get. Uh, and, and, and you have to be like the comic, the comedian. You have to be willing to switch gears for what the patient needs that because their need might be different than what you thought it was. So, Tom, you've mentioned other um, disease states, the adrenal gland and others. Uh, I think it'd be interesting for listeners, as an endocrinologist, what percentage of your time and energy do you spend you know, on the thyroid gland and its dysfunction as compared to, say, diabetes or adrenal disease or other endocrinological conditions? That's a good question. I'm kind of split between thyroid and osteoporosis, bone, and diabetes. Um, if someone wanted to, they could do diabetes all day, you know, because diabetes is so common. But I like everything in endocrine, uh, so I, I kind of split my practice up, and I love the variety. And I also just love endocrine that I get all ages. I love working with women and men, so I, I don't want to work with just one sex. I like working with the 18-year-olds, the and I like working with the 100-year-olds. Um, and, and so it's, um, it's kind of a wonderful potpourri. Um, and there's most of the things in endocrine you can either help and, or in some cases cure and usually without doing hopefully a lot of harm to the patient you know, with side effects and toxicities. So, Tom, tell us about thyroid cancer. It, it's actually a, a fairly common cancer in younger adults, isn't it? Yes. Um, and the, the, the rates have been going up for several years. Some of it's been debated, you know, is it a true increase or are we doing way more ultrasounds and imaging studies and finding it more? It's probably both, you know, there, but it basically usually presents with a bump on the thyroid, a nodule that's either felt by the patient, felt by the doctor or stumbled across on an x-ray test of the neck accidentally or inadvertently. And then if there's a big lump, we do a procedure called a fine needle aspirate, a skinny needle biopsy, which is well tolerated. And most of the nodules are benign. And the, the nodules are actually very common on the thyroid. They occur in 20 to 60% of people. I have one in my wow. thyroid. I have one in my thyroid, but lots of our friends do too. Um, if you take pictures, most are benign, but about maybe 5 to 10% that are bigger might be thyroid cancer. So if someone has a prominent bump or lump on the thyroid, they should get it evaluated uh, to make sure they don't have a cancer. The good news is if they do have a cancer, usually the prognosis is good for the vast majority of patients. Our scale of survival, most cancers use a five-year scale of survival. We use a 20-year scale of survival. So wow. I'm, I'm happy to say most of the time we get to give them good news long-term. And, and I, one thing I'll emphasize, don't let any surgeon operate on your neck unless they do a lot of thyroid surgeries and they're really good. I've always had Mayo Clinic trained surgeons operate on my patient's neck and they've been excellent. And that will protect the vocal cord nerves. It'll protect the parathyroid right. glands. So choose your surgeon very carefully. Yeah, those four tiny little parathyroid glands, so important for calcium. And then the recurrent laryngeal nerve, if one of those goes, then uh, you can't talk normally for the rest of your life. Exactly. So again, and you'd be amazed how many surgeons do one or two a year of thyroid. Not enough, in my opinion. Mm, so, so, Tom, why do you think the world needs more faithful Catholic endocrinologists? Yeah, a, a great question. You know, I, I think, you know, back to what we talked about earlier, the patients often want that as a part, sometimes a part of their visit. Um, and I'd like to think, you know, that if we truly ask for the graces, you know, spend our, our time in prayer, spend our time in adoration, you know, receive the Eucharist, you know, that I think the Lord, hopefully we're bringing the Lord to the patients, you know, in his love, you know. And one of my prayers on the way to work is help the patients see Jesus, not me. Help me to bring them to Jesus and help me see Jesus in them. You know, and, and it changes the way you look at people. It's really easy when you're tired and rushed to start looking at people almost as an inconvenience, you know, but you should really look at them. You should look at them as a great blessing and honor like Mother Teresa did. Um, and, and I remember a priest in, in a talk, he said, you don't want to see me. You want to see Jesus. You know, and that's exactly right. You know, they don't want to see a grumpy, tired, angry you know, doctor. They want to see someone that is totally into their health, 
and totally cares about them as a person and brings them, I think, hopefully the love of Christ. The other thing that's interesting is it's a two-way street. I have a ton of patients that pray for me and the staff and the other patients. Um, so they help you as much as you help them. Um, and they become your friends. We were talking about a mentor at Mayo that you and I like. He called everyone my friend and he treated yes, everyone he like his friend. And he also taught me one of the key lessons in medicine. When I was a young doctor, overwhelmed, he said, God didn't ask you to save the world. He asked you to be nice to the one person you're with at that moment. And I said, I can do that. Um, and so can you and so can everyone else. So I think, you know, you know, it, obviously we sometimes fail, you know, but you know, I think Christ gives us the strength to try. Well, Tom, you referenced earlier that you spend time talking to medical students. And as I listen to you talk, uh, I'm reminded that I'm thankful that medical students have a chance to be exposed to someone like you. Um, and I think our profession would be in a lot better place if there were more yous out there. Uh, and I'm glad I'm glad that you're there. And I think we, we all benefit from your sage wisdom. You know, the other thing, too, and Tom, is I, I think we need to really watch out for each other, you know, because a lot of doctors are burning out and nurses as well. And the same stuff we tell patients, you need exercise, you need sleep, you need time with your family, you need time with meditation and prayer applies to us. And I think the scripture actually works for patients and doctors. You know, the, the Lord took breaks. I tell caregivers that Jesus took breaks, you know, so you, you're allowed to take breaks, too. And, and, you know, and we all need mercy and forgiveness. So I love telling him those stories about, you know, Christ's mercy um, and the prodigal son, et cetera. So, um, and we need to build each other up, you know, um, because we're, we're our brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, and, and, you know, if we don't do that, we're going to lose good colleagues. And every once in a while, we're losing colleagues to suicide, which is a tragedy. Um, and I heard one, well, one recently to a med student. Um, and so build people up. You never know where they're at. You know, you don't know what's going on inside their mind or they're thinking about hurting themselves. So do your part and love them. Um, and of course, Tom, last 30 love. seconds, last 30 seconds. What would be a good uh, resource for patients who want to learn more reliable information about thyroid disease? So I love the Mayo Clinic website for everything. I think they're just a great institution. Um, there's a program called Up to Date that does have patient information that I think is excellent and written by experts. Tom, thanks for being with us on Dr. Doctor. This has been a wealth of information for our listeners. Thank you for letting me have the privilege to talk to you and the audience. And blessings to all. Welcome back to Dr. Doctor. And you astute listeners know that it's time for our medical trivia question answer. It's Bible and endocrinology, an unusual category, we realize. <laughs> uh, and to review the question, the thyroid gland sits happily in the neck, in front of the trachea, or called the windpipe sometimes, and below the voice box, always so known as the larynx. And it's there's a hard structure in front of the larynx, and it's called a thyroid cartilage. Uh, and the question that Tom posed is, what's the biblical name of the middle point of the thyroid cartilage, and why is it so called? And if you were listening closely at the beginning of the episode, Chris gave away that part of the answer. And it's the Adam's apple, as in Adam and Eve. And it's probably called that because swallowing the apple, he would have had a bulge in the neck. But uh, more importantly, it's because men have deeper voices, and we have deeper voices because our larynx is l larger for a deeper voice. And therefore, it the cartilage in front of it has to come out further to have room for the larynx. So our voice box is bigger as a male, and that front point is the Adam's apple. And now you know the rest of the story. So Chris, <laughs> top three takeaways. Yeah, it was a great episode. I really loved hearing um, hearing his passion. Uh, yes, his passion and expertise in endocrinology is amazing. Uh, but I would uh, I would maybe argue that his passion for touching people's souls uh, is even greater than that. Yes. Um, but I would have to say, and the top three takeaways for me from this episode, one is quite simple. The thyroid is really, really important. Um, it touches everything, as we said in our intro, and he really was affirming uh, in that. Uh, second, I would say to take away from listening to Dr. Tom, we need to pray for our patients and we need to ask them uh, to pray for us, whether we're physicians or nurses or podiatrist, uh, it doesn't matter. We need to pray for our patients and ask them to pray for us. Um, and last but not least, if you're not getting better and you're on an endocrine treatment course of some kind, 
um, you may need to ask questions. And that might include getting a different specialist, seeing an endocrinologist, maybe seeing a different endocrinologist, but you should be getting better. And if you're not, there may be something else going on. Yeah. My experience is a lot of us want to ascribe a problem to the thyroid. And even if the thyroid numbers aren't good and you correct them, the problem doesn't go away. I found that it's a small percentage of time that the problem gets better when we thought it was a thyroid. Yeah. The number looks better on the lab, but the right. patient says, I don't feel better. And um, I thought, what a wonderful doctor he is to go in depth the way he does. Yeah. I thought it was interesting. He pointed out a lot of times fatigue um, was sleep apnea, not thyroid disease. And once he yes. fixed the sleep apnea, uh, their fatigue was better and thyroid was no longer a question. But you know, when you say that, he represents that breed of physician, which I think um, in the generation maybe before us was more common than it is today, that just wants to look. They want to dig and they want to look and they're going to keep looking until they find the answer. Um, and that's really refreshing to listen to that. Amen, Chris. Thank you, listeners, for being with us to listen to Dr. Tom today on Dr. Doctor, the award-winning official radio program and podcast of the Catholic Medical Association. Please share the good news of our show with a friend. Invite them to listen on their favorite podcast app. And be sure to rate and review our show while you're there. It'll help other listeners find us. You can check out all of our episodes on our website, drdoctor.org. And be sure to tune in next week for your appointment with Dr. Doctor. This is Dr. Tom McGovern. And I'm Dr. Chris Stroud. And we're signing off until your next dose of Dr. Doctor. Dr. Doctor is the official radio program of the Catholic Medical Association, whose members are dedicated to upholding the principles of the Catholic faith in the science and practice of medicine. The views expressed on Dr. Doctor do not necessarily represent those of your co-host or the Catholic Medical Association. Have a question for our doctors or a topic you'd like to hear about? Call or text your questions to the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598 or fill out the form at drdoctor.org. Tune in for new episodes every Friday and find all our past episodes at drdoctor.org. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com.